What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. If you're new to Dad Tired Ministry, welcome. We're glad to have you. You can find out more about what we're doing by going to dadtired.com. Click the community tab. That will link you over to a closed group on Facebook where we've got a few thousand guys from around the world who are taking their faith their family, and their marriage very seriously. Today, I've got another super good interview for you. Uh, One of my favorite thinkers, um, to be honest with you, (laughs) I'm surprised that he even wrote me back when I asked him if he'd be on the podcast. He's just uh, like, if if you pick up one of his dozens of books, uh, they're often endorsed by guys like Tim Keller, Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll. Uh, he, He just like... He's very well known in the church world. He's an influencer, influential thinker. Um, he really is helping shape the the way that the direction, or the the direction that the church is going in the West. And uh, he's just he's just a brilliant man. So uh, today I've got Tim Chester on. He he'll be a guest with us. I, I just kind of gave you an introduction there, but he's got his PhD from the University of Wales. He's a pastor at a church called the Crowded House in Sheffield, UK. Uh, he's a director of Porterbrook Seminary, and he speaks at dozens of conferences around the world. He's written more than a dozen books. If you search his name in Amazon, I think it's like the first four or five pages straight are just his books. I mean, the guy has done a ton. So, um, I'm honored that he took the time to be on the Dad Tired Podcast. I asked him questions uh, specifically about being a dad and a husband, and he gave some just really, really helpful answers. Uh, he he drops a lot of resources, kind of like the other podcasts where we have guests on. Uh, don't feel like you have to remember all these things or take notes, especially if you're driving. Don't take notes. Uh, I've listed all the show notes out, all the resources, links to all his stuff in the show notes. If you go to dadtired.com and just search uh, Tim Chester, or you can find the interview on the podcast tab, uh, and you'll be able to see all those show notes there uh, with the resources. So anyway, you're going to love this interview. I promised. Get ready to dive in. Let's go. Tim, thank you for being with us. Uh, I just gave you an introduction, but in your own words, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Uh, Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm a pastor of a church in a rural area in North Yorkshire in the UK, and uh, I'm also a writer. I'm also on the faculty of uh, Crossland's Training, which provides training for people for ministry, but uh, enables them to train in their context. I'm uh, married to Helen, and I have two two daughters who uh, are just, they're both just graduating from um, university. One's just finishing a master's, the other's finishing her first degree. So uh, earlier this year, I was thinking, I'm going to have, my, my both my daughters will be through education. And, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be free of that responsibility. But uh, then now I'm realizing, of course, that now I have two unemployed daughters. So um, <laughs> so my responsibilities may continue. You're never not dad tired. That's what I hear. You're always uh, dad tired. Uh, well, there, like like I, I just mentioned before we started recording here, uh, 
there are many ways that are many roads that we could have gone down as far as uh, areas of your expertise that I would love to pick your brain. Um, but we're going to, for the listeners, uh, I'm, we're going to kind of bounce around all over the place here. Uh, and I just want to pull out as much wisdom as I can from you in all different areas. So we'll kind of ease into it. Um, for our audience, we have a lot of guys, a lot of young husbands and dads, a lot of millennials, uh, men who did not see fathers kind of model for them what it looks like to be the spiritual leader of their home. Um, so we have a lot of guys who who want that. They have a high desire to be the spiritual leader of their home, to lead their family well, um, to be a gospel-centered father and husband, sure. and yet really have no idea where to even begin. Could you give us some like practical things, something, maybe a couple things, uh, or maybe it's not practical, maybe it's heart change stuff, but what would you say to a guy who wants that, who has a high desire to be that guy, but really doesn't know where to begin? Well, I think that's a great desire, great thing to aspire for and to be. Um, so that's a great start. Uh, I, I mean, I think I would start by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. What did it mean for Jesus to be a husband uh, and to be a, uh, a father? Well, of course, he was, in one sense, he was neither. Uh, but in a very real sense, he was a husband. He is a husband to, to the church. And what did that mean for him? It meant that he gave his life for his bride. And I think that's got to be the beginning. So I do think that uh, men are to lead the home, uh, but we mustn't. Uh, our, our problem is that we often uh, our assumption of what that looks like is shaped by the world around us. And you think of Jesus in uh, Mark 10 when the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. He, he he explicitly tells us we're not to take our leadership models from the world around us. We're not to lord it over one another like the Gentiles do. And then he gives himself as the model. Uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And uh, then when you come to Ephesians 5, and he's talking very explicitly there, or Paul is talking about husbands and wives, and again, using Christ as the model, Christ giving himself for the church. So what does it mean for you to lead in your family? Well, first and foremost, it means that you are to give yourself uh, to deny yourself that your wife and uh, your family might flourish. So that's the uh, place to start, I think. And, and that's uh, fundamental, not just uh, for husbands, but actually for the model that we give for our wives, for our children, that actually we are teaching them what God is like in that, in that process. Uh, you know, the, the lie of Satan from the Garden of Eden onwards was that, uh, that God's, God is a tyrant, that, you know, he's holding us back and that you'll be more free if you sort of get rid of God. That was the lie of Satan. Well, not only has that colored the way we think about God, but it's also colored the way we think about authority. We have kind of used authority in the image of that lie, which is we've used authority uh, in a self-serving way. And uh, so Jesus, by coming and revealing what God is really like, he also reveals what authority or the, the proper use of authority is like, and that is to, to serve others. So I think that's the place to start. Yeah, great answer. Uh, you wrote a book called Total Church in which you, you described how the church is not a service, it's not a building that we go into, but it actually, it's, it's part of our identity that shapes every part of our life. Can you expand on that thought? Uh, well, that's not a bad summary, so I'm not quite sure where to go from that. <laughs> I think one of the issues is for us in the West is that we have a very individualistic way of viewing the world. Uh, we, it, it, it is all about me. I'm a self-made person. My identity is self-determined. 
And so I see myself uh, kind of as this individual and, and, and really I don't, you know, I resent other people interfering in that situation. Well, that's very different from the Bible's vision of what it means to be human and indeed, therefore, what it means to be Christian. We are made for relationship. We find ourselves in relationship with others and supremely, of course, with God. And to be a Christian then, to become a Christian, is to become part of the people for whom Christ died. It's not that we're kind of saved as lots of little individuals and then it's kind of convenient to get us together on a Sunday morning. We are saved when we become part of that bride for whom Christ died. And so fundamentally, we have this communal identity where we're thinking about uh, about how we uh, serve and care and learn from and submit to one another within the life of the local church. And the, the, the image I like to give of, to kind of um, just ground that for people is uh, when a man marries, kind of goes his state his identity or his status is uh, single one day and the next day his status is married and he's kind of got to catch up with that he's got to start thinking like a married man now so you know if if, if uh, one of his colleagues says to him at the end of the working day do you want to come for a drink he's he's no longer at liberty just to say yeah sure he's got to think about his wife is she expecting him maybe she needs to he needs to give her a ring and check that out with her well, in the same way, we've got to sort of we've got to have that shift of thinking when we become Christians that now we're part of a wider church family, and mm. we've got to think about them when we make our decisions and the implications it has for them, involve them in our lives, and involve our, us, uh, involve ourselves in their lives as well. What a what a powerful analogy that is in word picture. Uh, for for what about for the guys? Uh, and I think you really just answered it in this question. But what additional thoughts would you give to the guy who says, you know, I I love Jesus. I, I want to. I'm a Christian, uh, but I just don't. I don't like organized church. I, our, our church just kind of doesn't do it right. I can't find a church that does it right, uh, or it just feels too complicated or um, business like to be part of a local church. I, I just want to follow Jesus on my own. Yeah, I think, I mean, a couple of things just in response to that. I think most fundamentally, it is about how you understand the gospel. Is the gospel, uh, we often tell the gospel in terms of, uh, I'm, uh, you're a sinner, you're disconnected from God. If you come to Christ, he covers your sin, then you know God. And of course, that would be gloriously true. But that's not primarily how the Bible tells the, the gospel story. The Bible tells the gospel story of how God saves a people. You know, this is he's how he chooses a family, the family of Abraham, how that becomes a nation, the nation of Israel. And then how Israel, uh, the, the true Israel, are the church, those who put their faith in Christ, who find identity in Christ. Uh, and so as a Christian, you, you are part of that family. So it's really how you understand the gospel, how you understand your identity in Christ. Um, but also, I think there's a slightly kind of, uh, there, dare I say, a little bit of a dangerous idealism in that, that or... Um, or naivety, perhaps, that that churches just operate in, you know, in an ideal situation where we all kind of hang out and it's all kind of cool and fun. That That's just you hanging out with your peer group. That's not church. Uh, churches are very diverse. They are full of sinful, hurting people. They're cross-generational and they're cross-cultural. And all of those things can be uh, are, are a little bit hard work when you first encounter them. But actually, that's where real depth and real richness is to be found in living your life in those kinds of relationships. And churches do need a little bit of organization. Don't get so kind of um, idealistic that you miss the fact that 
things happen because somebody organizes them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And kind of to segue off of that last answer, uh, you, you started to really think through and help give leaders uh, in the church, um, kind of moving past with this idea of being part of a Sunday service and then a midweek Bible study. And you written, you've written books that talk about uh, going deeper than that, where you'd actually be part of a gospel community that's on mission to see God's redemption of the world. Uh, can you talk, to, talk us through what the difference is between uh, a midweek Bible study and being part of a gospel-centered community that's on mission? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's do you see it as an event or as a community? Uh, the danger, I think, with the midweek Bible study is that you see it as this event. It's this thing that you do on a Wednesday night or whenever it might be. Uh, and so it's very sort of uh, demarcated, as it were. And maybe there's also some kind of pastoral thing that goes on there. But it's not a community of people with whom you share your life, which I think is what the New Testament calls us to. And there are many ways you could look at that. I mean, I think it is primarily, as I've said, about how you understand the gospel and our identity in Christ. But if you just look at all the kind of one anothering phrases, the loving one another, forgiving one another, forbearing with one another, uh, all of those kind of phrases uh, just, just imply and require sharing your life with people. And I think that's so, so healthy and enriching to do that. And of course, you can't just do that in a kind of moment uh, once a week. It has to be something that kind of spills out into everyday life. And I think that's the context for discipleship and actually also a great context for mission. Yeah, so let's talk about that context for mission. Uh, we, A lot of us uh, in my generation and, and even before, when we thought about uh, mission or evangelism, we, we also thought of it as an event, like we let's all go evangelize or let's go on a mission trip. Um, and that there were very like compartmentalized moments of time. Um, t- talk to me about what, what does evangelism look like in 2017, especially in the West? Yeah, I mean, I'm not against events. I think uh, they're great. They can galvanize people for mission. There are still people out there who will come to events. But uh, there's a whole generation now who you just can't say, well, come to my church. They're just not interested. And uh, so, in fact, I think you've got to begin by building relationships with people just in the ordinary stuff of life. But, but key, I think, to the way the New Testament conceives of mission is not just that it's me on my own connecting with unbelievers, but us as a community. And it's as unbelievers see our life in community, the way we love one another, the way we fall out, but then forgive one another, the grace that's embodied in that kind of process. Uh, that's what creates the uh, the context in which the gospel can be shared. In 1 Peter 3, Peter famously sort of says, uh, uh, be, uh, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, implies that people are questioning. What you've got to realize is that that verse comes in, in a paragraph that begins uh, uh, calling on the, the Christians to be uh, considerate, to live with one another, to live in harmony together. It's this common life that provokes those kinds of questions. Uh, in the mix, then, events can have a, a great role to play. But, but you know, if you want people who are going to actually going to respond to that invitation to come to an event, then you need to actually be provoking questions in their mind. And I think the life of the community, a shared life, is, is a really key way in which that happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and so let's talk about um, 
and, and you may have just answered it in that last, that last answer, but for the guy that's working 40 hours a week, he comes home, he's trying to be the best husband he can. His toddler's running around. They're trying to potty train. There's tantrums being thrown. There's, you know, it's just kind of chaotic. That's yep. a normal day-to-day. It feels very survival for a lot of dads out there and, and moms. Um, what does mission look like for that guy, just your ordinary guy that's just trying to get through the week and kind of survive? Yeah, I think the key thing is to think it's, – it's, what I'm talking here, when I talk about having a shared life, about being in community and about being on mission together, we're not talking about another thing that we're now adding to this already packed life. If you think of it in those terms, then you're just going to throw your hands up in horror and, you know, give up. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just there's no room. How can I squeeze more in my life? You know, it's, what you've got to think of is uh, community is this context or this uh, well, it's a community. It's a community who you're living life with, where all this kind of stuff is happening in that in that context, rather than being this event that you this new event that you're kind of adding into your uh, into your calendar. It's actually the context in which it happens, and so all the potty training and all of that takes place in community. I mean, I, that, that that particular analogy may be going a little bit too far, but but you know, <laughs> if you're having people over into your home. And your children are kicking off and you're hanging out. You know, in other words, you don't have to. I think one of the issues we think of family time as this discrete time. We think of church time. We think of mission time as another. Then work. Then there's the commute. Oh, and then by the way, you should be praying more. And, and, and you've just got adding in these more. But actually, so many of them can overlap. Family time and church time. Mission time can all take place. If you're, if, if you're talking about just inviting people over to watch the game, say, Christians coming, non-Christians, kids are running around. All those things are kind of all happening at the same time. And that's not actually diluting them. That's actually strengthening them. Because mm-hmm. what your unbelieving friend then sees is you in relationship to, uh, to other Christians. They see you engaging with your children, having to handle all the tantrums and uh, hopefully doing that in a gospel-centered way, modeling the gospel in all those situations and you're, and you're watching the game as well. You know, so in other words, it's not about adding it all up. It's about actually just – because because you're seeing mission and community as identity, not as event. And right. so then it can kind of just spread out into all of life. Right. I think I had about 10 questions pop up in that last <laughs> answer. But one that I maybe makes most sense for the audience is you said – because I can imagine that picture. Many of us have been in that scenario. We've got friends over, some of them maybe Christian, some of them not. We're trying to model what it looks like to live a, a Jesus-loving, gospel-centered life in the midst of all of that. And our t- t- uh, toddler has a tantrum. And you said hopefully handling it in a gospel-centered way. Give me an example of what that would look like. What is gospel-centered well, I, uh, I mean, experience of doing this actually the way people interact with their children is one of the great ways in which actually people begin to engage with the, your worldview what it is that's shaping uh, they find it attractive um i, I mean i sometimes joke that uh, you know we need our children to misbehave more often because it creates so many good gospel opportunities but but uh, you know they manage that on their own so they don't need too much encouragement <laughs> that's, that's right i think it's about um Oh, there's so many ways in which that can happen. I think it's about what are your, what are your objectives in that situation? What, what are you trying to do then? Very often, here's my main, here's the main thing I learned after I've been a parent now for, um, for some years, more than 20 years. The main thing I learned was that what skews my parenting, what, what's going to send it off course is my own selfish desires. 
Hmm. So we think that the biggest problem in parenting is, is our children, uh, but actually the biggest point, problem in our parenting is us and our hmm. own selfishness. And so often in those kind of situations, you know, we're watching the game, child kicks off. If I'm, if, if my, if I'm being selfish, then all I'm really interested in is either my reputation that everybody thinks I've got this out of control kid or my I just want to watch the game uninterrupted. The last thing I want is to deal with this kid now. So, but, but if, I'm, if I'm actually focused on their good, so I'm going to use my authority now for their good, then I'm willing to sacrifice mm. uh, my comfort or my reputation in order to engage with this, to get to engage with my child in, in a way that's calm, but still, still telling them off, still imposing uh, authority on them, but using that authority in a way that's not being driven by my selfish desires, but by a desire for their good, for their growth. And that's going to, you know, I, I think even, even though you might say the same words, that, that shift of heart attitude makes all the difference. I think that's the difference in, in Ephesians 6 when Paul talked, don't exasperate your children. I think that's exasperating your children is what happens when your motives are, um, are distorted by your selfish desires. But if you're bringing your children up in the fear of the Lord, then you're able to engage with them in a way that says, you know, here are the standards. You're made to live under the authority of mummy and daddy which is actually a reflection of the fact that we're all made to live under the authority of God. I'm not saying you use all these words every time, but, but this is right. the sort of framework. Uh, and therefore, you know, these are the limits. These are the rules. You've got to do as you're told. This is what happens if you don't. This is what happens if you do. Um, and I think then those, th those kind of situations then create all sorts of opportunities to be doing a little bit of modeling what it means to, be, uh, to live under God's authority but also to live under his fatherly authority. That's, that's the key thing, I think. Um, so, yeah. so you talk a lot about, just in that, in that answer, you talked about a lot about the motivation behind what we're doing. Yep. Um, I've, heard you, I've heard you speak to that before in many uh, areas. Can you can, in that same line of thought, can you talk about motivation behind busyness? I have a lot of guys who say, I can't balance work-life balance. I'm trying to work really hard and spend time with my family, and I can't seem to get that balance right, or I'm just way too busy. Um, talk to me maybe about, is it, is it a scheduling problem, or is there something deeper happening there? Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I think it is something deeper. I, so I think actually the... Um the balancing of work and life is pretty straightforward, actually. I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but, you know, let's go with that for a moment. Uh, it's six days of work and one day of rest. And actually, I don't, I'm not a Sabbatarian. I don't mind quite how you sort of organize that. But I do think it's important that the, 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 uh, the balance of work and rest is over a week. I think there's a danger often in, 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 a, in the West that we do it over a year. So we kind of overwork and then we go off for a couple of weeks of holiday. We kind of binge rest. And that doesn't really work. Or we do it over a lifetime. So we kind of work really hard and then we retire and, and we hope to kind of that we kind of store up all this rest for retirement. Right. And I don't think either of those are biblical or healthy. But of course that makes I realise that makes sense all very easy. And yet we all feel these pressures to work. I think we've got to start with this fundamental reality. God gave us twenty four hours in each day. And he didn't make a mistake. And uh, so our problem arises because we're trying to fit more into 24 hours than fits. We, we, we want to live as if there were 25 or 26 or 27 hours in the day. 
Mm. Um, so the question then is, why are we trying to do more than actually can be done? Because God doesn't expect us that. God mm. does not expect us to do more than will fit in 24 hours. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But actually, for most of us, they come down to uh, how we think, what we think about God. I say for most of us, I think if you're a slave, then uh, you're, you're in a, you, you can't, don't have much control over your life. I actually also think that if you're a, a mother of a small child, life is just – what I say to young mums is if you get through the day without um, uh, losing it with your kid and, and killing them, then that's probably a successful day because <laughs> it is just tough being the mother of young right. children. And, and, and actually survival, it's, it's okay just to survive. I think the problem comes for young mums is when they have this expectation that they're going to thrive. Mm. The, you know, the kind of yummy mummy phenomenon. I don't know if you have that in the States, but this sort of mm. idealized view of motherhood where you bake cookies with your children and then you right. stay out of We certainly have that. Yeah. And then, you you know, it's it's so sort of idealized. And, and if you're not living and, and then you go off and have your quiet time somehow, somewhere, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then you call around and, you know, anyway, it's so idealized that, um, that that it becomes this impossible ideal that everyone just sort of drowns under. Actually, it's enough just to survive. But for most of us, and I guess I'm uh, talking to the dads here, uh, I do think that the issues arise are to do with our own hearts. Uh, and, and as I say, they're various. Some of them are about being in control. I want to be in control of life. Uh, I'm not really trusting that God's in control, so I'm trying to take control. I'm trying to micromanage everything. Uh, another one is the fear of other people. Might be the boss, might be the wife, might be the church. But we, we, we're driven by the need for other people's approval. So we just we, ne- we never say no. We're always taking on more than we can actually do. For some people, they just want the good life. So they want they want to kind of have it all. They want you know they want to do well at work. They want the lovely family. They also want to be able to go out and play. You know whatever that means for them. Uh, and uh, somehow there just isn't time for all those things. Um, but for, I think for many guys, it's the issue is uh, needing needing to prove themselves, needing to. Uh, sort of um, achieve their own identity or uh, prove themselves to God or to other people. And that drives them to kind of uh, do more than actually God expects of them. Uh, And so they fill their life with stuff that is all about trying to prove their own identity. And and how would you speak the gospel directly into that guy? Oh, I would say uh, Jesus has come to me and have rest. Hmm. Uh, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. You know, if you don't feel it as light, then something's wrong. You're, I, I, mean, I mean, obviously, I'd want a conversation with each person and to try and unpick what, what it is that's actually driving them, because I do think it's, it's mixed and many. But, but the key thing is, if, if, if a guy's driven by the need to kind of win God's approval, he just needs to hear again and again that he has God's approval in Christ. Hmm. And, um, and he doesn't have to kind of sort everything. That's I think another, another common thing that, that, that people do is they confuse uh, what, we're, uh, what we're responsible for and what we're concerned about. So I'm responsible to, uh, to provide for my family and to uh, father them well, parent them well. Um, but I'm not responsible, f- for example, for their behavior, how they respond to my parenting. I'm not responsible for uh, well, there's just a whole load of things that I might be concerned about, but actually I can't control. So if I can't control something, then I can't take responsibility for it. And so where we're responsible, we need to obey. I mean, occasionally you, you meet people who, who are kind of 
taking stuff out of the responsibility and just dumping it in the concern. They're, they're lazy, right? Uh, and they need to be called to, to obedience. But much more common is people who are kind of dragging in the stuff they're concerned about, taking responsibility for it when it's not really something that they can control. So we, mm. where, where we're responsible, we obey. Where it's about uh, issues of concern, then we need to trust need to trust mm. God and, and kind of hand it to him and leave it in his care. That's good. I'm going to uh, maybe end with this question here. You wrote a book called You Can Change. Uh, and I love the title of that because there are many of us men who feel like I will never change. Uh, I'm hardwired to be prone to my bad behavior, my sinful rebellion. Uh, and, and many guys who uh, are emailing me every week who say, this, uh, I, don't, I feel hopeless in my addiction, I feel hopeless in my poor behavior or my impatience or whatever it is, my anger, um, and I don't feel like there's any hope for me to change. What would you say to that guy? Uh, I'd say the first thing is you can't change yourself. And if that's, you know, if, if, if you're trying to change yourself, then no wonder you're, it's finding it's pretty tricky, you know, it's finding, finding it tough. Second, change does take a lifetime. Uh, none of us ever, n- none of us has arrived. Uh, it's one of the important, just going back to church, one of the important things about church is it's just going to be messy because we're, it, it's a bunch of sinners thrown together kind of thing. So we're all in a process. Uh, but but what you've got to see is that the gospel does bring change or, or, or even even more significantly, Jesus and the spirit bring change. Jesus has died to set us free from sin. And we're no longer kind of trapped by it. Now we have choices and the spirit is at work in our hearts to uh, give us new desires. Uh, so, so, so we have no reason to give up. And we just got to go back to the gospel, back to see the glory of Christ, back so that we see Christ in a way that means that we desire him more than the things that are drawing us away to sin um, and, and, and back to prayer and to the reliance on the spirit. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I would say, you know, we, we, we're never stuck. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've said this a lot on the, the podcast and to the guys that to listen to this podcast is that I want my kids to, uh, as they grow up, not just to, to ask, is this right or wrong? Or would daddy be mad at me if I did this? But I, I want them to get to a point eventually by God's grace that they would say, would this thing satisfy my soul more than Jesus can? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding there, even for us uh, as men, is what are we chasing after to satisfy our soul um, that, yes. that really only Jesus can do? Yeah, or one of the ways that I put it to, to people is that we need to be saying to people, not just you should not, there is an element of that. You know, we, we do call one another to a different behavior. But, we're not, but in the end, if that's all you say, that's just legalism. So we're not just saying you should not. We, we can. We also say you need not. So whatever it is that you're you're currently sort of stuck in or drawn into, you need not do this because there's a better option. There's a better alternative. Hmm. Man, uh, well, we've literally just. Not, I don't even know if it's uh, uh, fair to say that we've scratched the surface on many of these topics. We could have gone, uh, spent an entire podcast, an hour long on each of these, and probably started to scratch the surface. Uh, you have dozens of books out, and I'm going to link in on dadtire.com in the show notes some of my favorites for the guys to go and pick up. Um, but where can guys connect with you? Are you on Twitter or online somewhere that guys can kind of follow along with what you're doing? Uh, yes, I've got a blog. Uh, Tim 
chester.co.uk and that's also the, the the twitter is the same tim chester co uk so um or just google tim chester and i think you'll find me yeah pops up yeah i well i really do t- uh, appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today and i'm going to encourage guys to get uh pick up many of the books that you've written and continue to go deeper on a lot of these subjects but thank you for being here today thank you 